My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the post-credits pod. We are diving into the penultimate episode of WandaVision. Eric, we only have one more episode to go. Like, I'm, I know we have Falcon and Winter Soldier coming. I'm happy about that. But I am sad that Falcon and Winter, that I'm sad that WandaVision is ending because it's been such a fun ride. Sort of uh, inside baseball here, but... So we taped the news part on Thursday night. So when, when we're saying this right now, we haven't seen the show yet, but I'm so confident that this week <laughs> is going to be a banger. Let me just say, wow, what an episode. <laughs> I like how you're outing us and being like, it's all bullshit. It's all part of the fucking Hollywood I magic. Think, I think people know that there is a lot of prestige-esque <laughs> magic going on behind the scenes with podcasts. Point being is, if they don't, like if I turn out to be wrong and they didn't drop a bomb this week on us, then fuck me. But I'm pretty confident that we are in for some shit this week. I would say that's pretty fair. But before we get to WandaVision, we got a bunch of trending hot topic news to get to. Starting with on Wednesday, Viacom CBS unveiled Paramount Plus, the new stream super streaming service that they are rebranding CBS All Access to. Eric, did you tune into the uh, the presentation at all? Was it free to tune into? I thought it was like a uh, business thing. Like you got it. I'm pretty sure everyone could tune in, but only certain people saw like the footage shown and whatnot. No, I did not tune in. But to be fair, tweets these days are just as quick. So like if you followed the Postgred pod feed and your feed at the same time, they were two very like different takes on what's going on because you're just spitting out news you're crushing it right and i'm just thinking every time some news dropped i'm like how can i turn this into a dumb meme (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that's genius at work man you Uh, think that's exactly what orson wells was doing he was like how do i take the real world yeah he was a big meme guy (laughs) he was he was doing his version of memes he's like hey there kid stick with me you're gonna make a million bucks yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh that's that fuck mank (laughs) um point being is that even though i wasn't tuned in and you were and i could sense how overwhelming it was i was overwhelmed too because not only was i dealing with that but the no way home title dropped they announced that fincher and fassbender have this film i was doing a thousand fucking things at once and they and what was particularly wild about the paramount drops is a lot of the content is reboots from when we grew up yeah. Which is like sort of a wild concept, right? Like we're at the age now, late 20s, getting close to 30. We're like, they are repurposing the shit that we watched growing up for that next age group, which... In you know. pop culture terms, we're old. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like we've reached the end of our, our cycle. And that's why now everything that we grew up with is being retrofitted for remakes and reboots and revivals. So, so we're old. Uh, before you dive into your more you know in-depth thoughts, the only real main takeaway that i had from look and paramount is they don't have street cred but they're an og right like they're like an mgm-esque like an old guard one of the oldest film studios on earth so they've got a giant backlog that they they could source from until the end of time plus you add in the nfl that's really what people have been craving for for if you talk to regular consumers and if you ask them why have you not cut cable yet they'll say oh sports yeah Literally 1,000 live sporting events coming to Paramount. But I would say that my biggest takeaway was the fact that they nabbed the Halo show from Showtime is a big win for them because I think that that is sort of, in the same way, you know, 
Apple tried to launch with for all mankind. And I would say Halo is a much bigger sell. So that's a big yeah. win for them. That's enough to get me to think about signing up just to check that show out. They showed a, a teaser trailer for it too in the presentation. And I, you know, I, and so now the floor is yours <laughs> if you would like to tell us about said teaser. Well, for you know, I, I I'm not a gamer, but Halo was one of the the, play, the games that I did play as a youngster, and I certainly loved it. The teaser trailer definitely looked super big budget. The, all the money on the was on the screen. I mean, a ton of space action. But it also looked pretty glitzy, glossy, and generic, where I was kind of hoping for something a little bit more, you know, down and dirty boots on the ground. It was shot very much like a broadcast show, even though it's this space series. And and what I mean by that is, like, everything's really bright. Everything's kind of uh, a straight-on, straightforward, three-quarters and up shot. There's no distinctive visual language whatsoever. I mean... When I, when I say David Fincher, who we'll talk about later in the, the news, there's like certain shots and scenes and, and motifs that he uses aesthetically that immediately come to mind. This looked very straightforward and vanilla in terms of how it was presented. But it was a ton of fucking, you know, big budget spectacle. There was like cities and asteroids and shit. There was aliens. So, yeah, I'm going to watch it, of course. Was it just more like a highlight reel or was it a trailer where it sort of laid out what the plot is going to be? It it was a teaser trailer in which you can tell the humans are worried about the either current or looming war. Okay. And certain people are like, but he can save us all. He's a Spartan. And it's like this very traditional like hero film. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, they showed a couple slaps, dude. It goes so hard. It's crazy. Halo's got a great soundtrack, but like, you know, I, I'm not saying Paramount Plus doesn't have some cool originals lined up. They've got that. They announced Avatar Studio. So Avatar The Last Airbender, Legend of Korra, those creators ha- are now running their own Avatar-centric studio. Good for them, too, because they've been yeah. going through hell for the last time. I don't know, what, yeah. 10 years to get their own shit made? and It's been tough. You know, Paramount Plus has the, has the Godfather series coming up with Jake Gyllenhaal and Oscar Isaac. They've got a Wait. thousand sports. Whoa, that's yeah. a series? Yeah. I thought that was a movie. I uh, I thought it was a series. Now your confidence is shaking my confidence. I could be. Oh, wrong. I had tracked this this whole time as a film. Uh, you know what? Twitter, you can you can fact check me. Correct us. Guys, we, 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 it was a three and a half hour presentation yeah. that I stayed for all of it to cover for work. Cut me some fucking slack. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, they've got big movies coming thirty to forty five days after their theatrical run. That includes A Quiet Place Two. That includes Mission Impossible Seven. Top Gun Maverick, so they're changing the game up that way. But ultimately, and I wrote about this for Observer.com today, you can check it out. I think if they had just focused on kids' content, the biggest growth area in streaming, sports, which is a huge reason why CBS All Access is somewhat successful, and Pluto, which is their free TV streaming service that has like 46 million monthly active users, which is huge. If they had just focused on that, that's a business right there. That's a, a really interesting streaming niche. Everything else, I think they should probably just sell to Netflix on a long enough timeline because I simply don't think they can compete as the eighth entrant, the eighth major streaming video on-demand entrant in the industry. Name them all. Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, uh, Hulu, HBO Max, Peacock, Apple TV Plus, Disney Plus, uh, Paramount Plus. That's eight. Okay, wow. Good for you, know, you on the fucking spot. Got you, <laughs> wow, man. I got dude. you. So, oh, yeah. 
So my, my long story short recap is, you know, Paramount Plus is going to have some cool stuff. I just don't know if they survive the streaming wars long term. In fact, I probably if I'm predicting right now, I don't think they do. Two quick things. Try not to go too in-depth. What do you mean by survive and how do you define long term? Great question. So not only does the basic law of economics support the idea that only three powers can come into a market, but countless consumer surveys – have said that basically the average U.S. consumer is willing to su subscribe to about three streaming services. Now, of course, there's going to be a couple more, a couple less, but the fact is really probably only three to four major streaming services are going to survive, have enough subscribers and revenue and usage to actually make it long-term. The others, probably on a long enough timeline, will shutter their streamers, sell their libraries, and go back to licensing content out to other third parties and getting a bunch of revenue from that. So that is what I mean by kind of survive and the criteria. Okay. If you had to grade the overall Paramount Plus, both rollout and long-term outlook, and to roll that into one score on a scale of 10, what would you put that at? Another really good question. And now we still got to wait for a lot of other shoes to drop, such as their marketing promotions, their user interface. Because their commercials so far have been fucking tragic. Let's horrible put it like I that. I think their marketing has been terrible. But like, you know how like a Disney launched with like a Verizon, like all these partnerships to get immediate subs like that. Uh, I would say so far, if I'm grading Paramount Plus C minus. Okay. Or, sorry, you said out of 10. So Whatever. Like, what is that? I don't like, really five? care. Just a grade of sorts. Yeah, it's like, a, you know, like a five or four. Yeah, okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. Streaming wars are interesting. We'll cover it more, you know, when there's blockbuster shit like Halo dropping. Yeah. I mean, that I'm hyped for, despite what you've said. That is a show that's been in the works for a long fucking time. Like 12 years. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, listen, it still could be good. That was just a teaser trailer that like, had some good stuff and had some bad stuff. So, yeah. you know, we'll see. All right, moving on. Marvel Cinematic Universe. They finally unveiled the Spider-Man 3 title, Spider-Man No Way Home. What are you thinking, Eric? I think it's genius that they use the fan online culture to then construct their marketing around, like all of the fervor around what the title would be. Then they in turn played into that with the rollout of said title. So I think sneaky, as, sneaky. as their take on Spider-Man has been this whole time, it's a very self-aware move. I think that the title is interesting because it suggests to me that they're either a trying to pull a bait and switch right or b and what i think it is they're telling us straight up what we are about to see and what i think that is is that no way home is going to serve as a sort of and as i wrote today for a post on brobible.com a, a sort of multiversal off-ramp they are telling us hey man this is we are going to move him over to Sony, and that's where it's going to be now. So to Shoot that bummer. point, and if you have an overall point to get to first, then dive into that. But this makes me ask three main things. Why is Sony ignoring the bird and the hand? Far From Home is literally their highest grossing film of all time at $1.1 billion. Why are they confident that they will get Spider-Man right this time? Especially considering the fact Spider-Man Homecoming stars fucking Iron Man. You mean to tell me that you're going to trade that in for Morbius and expect <laughs> the same <laughs> results? Like, come on. All right, here, here on that one. And then third of all, and then this is not as big of a concern 
as it is for their bottom line. But in terms of the fan culture, it is. Don't they realize that a swath of MCU fans may reject the franchise outright out of pure spite? As we've seen with... Is greed that blinding that they just want a bigger cut of a worse product? (laughs) I like that you're firing shots, man. Well, how else do you explain it? It's done nothing but well. Every continuing film will make more dollars. Yes, I think I read today that they split it half and half. with with Marvel Studios gets 25%. So they're... Uh, so of, that, of this next one, not not so that the first makes it two. even worse to me because for them to sort of try to piggyback off of the head start that the MCU gave them, which I'm sure was always the plan, but to do so despite the fact of how well it's doing, just is screams outrageous greed to me. I think two things can be true at once, and they're not mutually exclusive. Number one is that. When Sony does exclusively reclaim Tom Holland's Spider-Man, which I agree, seems like that's what they're doing, his solo movies there and his team-up movies there will still make a shit ton of money. At the same time, I think the most mutually beneficial situation of all, the situation that makes everybody the most money long-term is keeping him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, keeping that partnership going. Again, both can be true at once. Sony will probably do quite well financially, but they would do better longer term, which would only benefit their Sony universe of Marvel characters longer term if they kept ping-ponging back and think forth. About, think about both the positive and negative passion of the Snyder Cut fan base and how much they got done in, in terms of good, both A, getting the film made, B, donating a fuck ton to charity. But then on the flip side of that that coin, that passion going the wrong way and right. abusing people like you or writers. If a group like that can be as powerful as that, you're telling me that MCU fans can't sort of take up arms against Sony in that same way? Aren't they predicting like a hashtag campaign to I roll have out? To believe as soon- so. Oh, so I, maybe, but I maybe they are expecting I and they're not like, doing it. And I'm trying to put myself in their shoes, right? Would I rather 100% of a $1 billion film or would I want a 75% cut on a $1 billion film? Of course, I would rather the 100% take, but that's assuming that everything goes well. That's assuming that fans are on board. That's assuming that it's a that's good excluding film. Long-term that's assuming goodwill. that. What if Morbius and Venom 2 bomb? <laughs> I mean, I, then what? The Nobody's going to give a fuck. They're going to be like, great, you could fucking have them. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, you I seem agree shocked, you. I mean, whereas I seem angry. <laughs> no, no, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I've long said that the best situation, the best uh, conclusion to this is to just keep renegotiating every step of the way and have have him in. That That's what helps everybody. But my thinking is, it's like, yeah, it does seem like they're trying to exclusively reclaim him. But what if this are. is truly a switch and bait? And like, yeah, they're like, Eric, we agree. That's why by the end of No Way Home, we're going to fucking figure that shit and out. That, what's key here is that I think Tom Holland, I think he was speaking with Collider. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Folks, that is Collider.com. That is a long it's like inside joke that we've had. Or something but, like um, that. He said to them that Sony and Marvel have Spider-Man's plans mapped out. Like they already know what they're going to do with him from here on out. And the way he described it was he's sort of a child in between 
two fighting parents. And while they fight and blah, 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 they, you know, they figured out a way to make things work. So he sounds generally positive about the outlook of them re-upping their deal. So what I think No Way Home is going to be is it's going to provide, it's going to leave us with a fork in the road type end. He is going to end that film stranded in the Sony world. Regardless. Lost in the multiverse? That's coming. Yeah, I agree with that. If Marvel and Sony can figure out a new deal, the following fourth film will then be him coming home. Spider-Man Homeward Bound. If they can't cut a new deal, then the fourth film will be him in his new world. So I think that they're setting us up for a sort of cliffhanger, sort of a meta-franchise cliffhanger about not only the fate of the character in the world, but in the character in our world. Similar to how Marvel Studios had multiple contingencies for Captain America Civil War, both regarding if they could get Spider-Man and regarding T'Challa and other people's roles, I assume Marvel Studios has a ton of contingencies in place for this future, which, you know, if they do get him back, I bet Doctor Strange too is like, oh, hey, what's up, Peter? How you doing? Welcome back. And then like they keep moving Plus, forward. Plus, you've got to assume that they're fighting like hell to keep him. As I yeah. always say, I think he is the third most important superhero of all time. He's, I mean, he's also he, Marvel's biggest character in terms of dollars and cents dating so, back to like the 50s. And so you've got to figure that the MCU, uh, sorry, Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios are smart enough to understand that if they have to take less to keep him in it, then that's worth that deal. So I don't doubt that they're doing everything they can to make this work. I, can the MCU survive without Spider-Man? Of course, because it existed long before uh, you know he ever got there. But does it add an A-list top-tier element as, again, Marvel's most popular character ever? Oh, yeah. Big time. So keep him. And then listen, Sony, come on, guys. You can still use him with Morbius and uh, Venom. You can still have him flip-flopping between worlds. He just gets pulled into like a vortex every every two years <laughs> there's a million, a million ways bullshit you just... reasons that they could give us my you know ultimately it looks everything looks like sony's reclaiming him but if that's the case if that's the case long term long term why is charlie cox possibly showing up as daredevil in spider-man 3 and why is michael keaton's vulture definitely showing up in morbius morbius which has been reported before or i think he was seen in the trailer He's right in the trailer yeah yeah, yeah. so why do that if it's 100% like this is the last movie ever? It just, you know. All right, let's switch over to another big superhero project. That is Zack Snyder's Justice League. We're, wow, we're only about two and a half weeks out now. That's crazy. But specifically what we're talking about in the Vanity Fair profile uh, that ran, I think it was last Great piece. week. Yeah. No, it, I think it was. I don't know, man. Time is Monday. meaningless. I know. Time, time is meaningless in the 12th month of a pandemic. It is. It is. <laughs> but what it said, quote, was Snyder has reshot the ending with a hero cameo that will blow hardcore fans' minds. Now, Eric, for me personally, this is a situation in which I am not going to overthink it, although that's the most fun thing to do. I love your theory that I cannot wait for listeners to hear, and I want to give you the floor Do for that. you think that that is a legit theory? Because I haven't talked to you about this yet. I think it's a well-researched uh, and logical theory, but at the There's end no of the day, way, right? I'm, not, I'm not overthinking it. I am 
adhering to Occam's racer, the simplest answer is the right one. We have known for years because of Snyder himself that he wanted to introduce Martian Manhunter in his full glory, played by the same actor who, uh, who was the general in Man of Steel. Snyder has revealed that his plans was to be like, oh yeah, that guy was John Jones in hiding. But the if whole you're time. a hardcore fan, you already know that. So then therefore, I, why would it blow your mind? I understand that, but because it's still a first look, first live action look on the big screen, not the small screen, of okay. a you know, major Justice League member. And I think it's not just uh the actor himself saying I am Martian Manhunter. I think it's a full reveal of him transforming into his, his natural form. So I, I'm not going to overthink it. I, I think it's exactly what we have been told was in the cards for years. So I sort of based my theory off of the actual semantics of the sentence itself, which was he has reshot the ending with a hero cameo that will quote, blow hardcore fans minds. Now, so I took that word for word, right? Word for word, right? He is a hero. So, of course, we know he will probably be part of the Justice League in some way, shape, or form. We know that perhaps only, I don't know if they meant hardcore film fans or hardcore comic book fans. I'm assuming it is the latter that it will blow their minds, right? So, while I agree with Brandon, I do think that it's probably John Jones. And it could be Green Lantern, even though we already expect one to appear in the film in that sort of ancient battle. One that I had tossed out there was Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam. But it just that just seems, as we say on this podcast a lot, like a hat on a hat. So my conclusion, while out there, I totally get that this is out there. I literally called it our long shot guess, is that it is Thomas Wayne, a.k.a. the Flashpoint Batman. Now, he checks every box. It's a hero. He would be identified by hardcore fans. Now, Green Lantern, I think, is too mainstream to be a character that they would identify as only mind-blowing to hardcore fans. And as I just said before, they had already confirmed that John Jones would appear. So I don't know why that would blow hardcore fans' minds. If you're a hardcore fan, you've been tracking this film for three years now. We know that this film has time travel specifically time travel started by the flash and we also know that the flash will loosely adapt flashpoint so with all that said i thought that maybe this could serve as the stinger or the post credit scene for the flash which not counting the suicide squad is the next dceu film and that it would be a post credit scene with the flash he sort of time travel too far and he runs into fucking thomas wayne i mean that that would be some mind-blowing shit for sure hire me warner i mean there it is for you right there <laughs> i mean you should you should get at him seriously I, it's that easy folks <laughs> i i still think uh that's like two galaxy brain but i still think it's a good a good theory yeah, a same. fun theory that won't be true yeah same. <laughs> all right let's keep it in the DCEU, Sasha Cal, or it might be Callie. I apologize if I'm butchering that, as I usually do. She's been cast as the DCEU Supergirl, and she will debut in the Flash movie. I agree with the note you jotted here down. Basically, I, I, every new announcement about the Flash makes me less and less confident in its ability to deliver on the high concept, high bar uh, of acceptance that we need because this movie is 
overflowing with stuff going on. It now has two different Batman, including Michael Keaton's Batman, who hasn't been seen in, you know, 30 years. 30 years. <laughs> it's got to reintroduce Supergirl. It's got to basically do be a swan song for Ben Affleck's Batman. It has to rewrite some of the timeline, borrowing bits and pieces from the actual Flashpoint storyline, all in a movie for a character who has never had his own solo movie. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I have my doubts, as you said. So as I've been saying about Flash film this whole time, which has been my sort of go-to line, if they pull it off, great. Um, do I expect they will? Probably not. But if they do, it will be something special. Like they it could redefine what the DCEU could be if they pull this off. Now, as for the casting itself, this chick, just based on her IG alone, seems charismatic as hell. She just seems like she's got that stuff, right? As far as I recall, which is not really that great, considering I just reread Flashpoint last year, I don't think Supergirl has... I don't think she even appears in that entire story. So how exactly she's being worked into this, I can't really speak on. But, but remember, not- they're barely doing Flashpoint. You know, there's no Wonder Woman. There's no Aquaman. There's two there, There's two Batman running around. I understand that Thomas Wayne is in Flashpoint and all that. Yeah, 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 and Michael yeah. Keaton I'm might- just saying there's no comic book basis for what she could potentially be doing in this film. Just fucking people up, probably. Um, But my biggest takeaway is sort of this, right? This is interesting. If, I like what you have here. If they don't think that Man of Steel 2 is viable, then there's no way they're giving this newcomer who, by all means, could turn out to be fucking phenomenal. There's no way that they're going to greenlight a Supergirl film. But what about a splashy HBO Max series? Uh, listen, I would love that, but I don't... It's like, you know, Ezra Miller's not an A-list star, but he got introduced in a team-up. Like Zachary Levi, who I like, he's, he was never an A-list star before getting Shazam. So I, I still think they're willing to bank those. But they I, obviously I think have you're plans thinking... for her beyond the Flash. Yeah, definitely. But what are those plans? I, I, I agree that if Man of Steel 2 isn't viable, Supergirl, which, which could still make a ton of money, is a questionable property from their perspective, not necessarily from ours. I think, and what your idea, and I want you to expand on it more, I think starting her off on, in an HBO Max before she does something cool on the big screen, please tell, please tell us the conclusion to your idea. Well, the conclusion is, so if I don't think that they're going to give her her own film, right? And if, and if we're not really sold on an HBO Max series, then what if Man of Steel 2 is co-opted and sort of billed as a team-up between these two? And it's called... No, I would love her to get her HBO Max series, and then that builds to Man of Steel 2. I think that would be really cool. Oh, that would be really cool. And that's exactly what they want to do. Ping-pong storylines back and forth and have two-way funnel of fan interest. Oh, HBO Max leads to the big screen and vice versa. Like, and that's what they're doing with Peacemaker and the Batman spinoff. So I, I think that would be awesome to introduce Supergirl in like a really big budget eight episode thing. And it yeah. ends like right before Man of Steel, Steel 2 picks up. Like maybe the last scene in Bring Supergirl. Bring the X here. Oh shit. Yeah. Cut and to Henry, black. <laughs> and then they bring Henry Cavill back for one yeah. scene in, in the at the end of Supergirl HBO Max series. And then boom, it picks up right in the big screen. I would love that. That has got to be on the board at this point because I cannot foresee how else they plan to use her unless they do plan a deploy her in a Hulk-esque role where she sort of just pops up in the team of films, but that just doesn't make sense to me. Did the Supergirl film that was reported a while ago have a creative team? Yeah, it was Joss Whedon. (laughs) No, no, that was Batwoman. Or that was Batgirl. Right, right, right. right. Hold on, let me just check right quick. Yeah. 
Oh, no. So in May 6th, on May 6th, that hashtag show reported that the Supergirl film had been put on hold. Now, yeah. you know, that's take it with a grain of salt, but, you know, more information also, than I have. Also, if you add in the fact of how the Margot Robbie starring Birds of Prey didn't do what they hoped it'd do, I just don't imagine a world where they are planning to build this character out into her own film unless she is teamed up with Cavill's Superman. I'd still like to see a Supergirl solo film just because I think she's an interesting character. I really like a lot of her arcs in the animated films and series I've seen. I I would be down for that, but I'm also like the core demographic. Like, hey, you're a nerdy guy. You want to buy a ticket. She has big dark side ties too. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really like that stuff. All right. Now, you know, tangentially related to the DCEU is Zack Snyder. And he has a new... Zack Snyder season, baby! He's got a new (laughs) movie coming out, and it's not the Justice League cut. It is Army of the Dead, a zombie movie uh, that's coming to Netflix. I believe it was May is when they said. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, May 21st, I think. Yeah. They released the first trailer for that today. And I, I gotta say, looks like a lot of fun. And that was just a teaser trailer, too. It wasn't even a full trailer. Yeah, I mean, as I've said to you, I think that Zack Snyder started his career three for three. I think Dawn of the Dead is great. I think 300 is great. And I think The Watchmen is great. And we all know how I feel about Man of Steel on this podcast. So, and based on that, I forget, what was it, THR this week that put out the piece on him? Vanity right. Um, This sort of seems like it is his comeback uh like he's not of course not over the death of his daughter but he now seems like he is stepping into that next phase of his life right like ready to fully sort of dive back in which is not a place that he's been in for years that's part of why he stepped off justice league to start with and as he should have but i think if this is sort of a return to his roots sort of like lebron going back to the Cavs, not saying that that he is a LeBron-esque director, but it could be argued at like, fifth, what is he, 52? He's at the peak of his powers, right? So going back to where it all started to give us something that we know it'll be fun, right? Like regardless <laughs> of what else it is, we know it'll be flashy and it'll be fun. Awesome. I'm down. I'm game. Dawn of the Dead, in my opinion, is his best film. So to see him return to the genre with a cool, neat little hook, which is that everyone's always trying to escape a zombie apocalypse. These people are trying to break into one in order to pull off the biggest heist ever seen because there's just a bunch of money sitting in Vegas and they need to get it out of there before it's nuked. Like to me, that is a nifty little like, you know, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's an obvious little reversal, but it's no, still but nifty it does and cool of, and it's it, fun. It, 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 it reshapes the entire way yeah. that these films work, right? The entire tension from zombie films is, I'm trying to get the fuck out of here, you know? So that's And like, listen, You're right. that's a Dave good Bautista in, the lead, in a lead role is good with me. I fucking love that guy. Yeah. I think he's really talented, doesn't get enough credit, and I'm, I'm happy that his career He never is still puts popping. in a bad role. Ever. No, even in Stuber, which wasn't a great movie, but was funny enough. Like him and Kumail Nanjiani together, really funny. Just solid duo okay. right there. Huh. So yeah, I- I'm I'm surprisingly like very excited for Army of the Dead. <laughs> All right, let's take it to Pixar now. We got the first trailer for Luca, the new upcoming Pixar original in which two kids on the kind of Italian coast are enjoying summer. But what we learn is that once they go back into the water, they're actually like, sea monsters not evil sea monsters but like they're sea creatures that like take on the form of human humans when they get on land um 
listen, this trailer to me wasn't like the best Pixar trailer ever, but every single time I've ever doubted Pixar, I end up bawling in the theater and being like, I loved it. It was so good. So, you know, I'm not doubting it anymore. Yeah, I don't care what no the trailer is. There's no question that this is going to be a banger. You know, with a last name Italiano, I simply have to be all in on this. Like, it's part of our code. Very true. Like, you just got to be true. down. As I said with Soul, you know, it sort of saw Pixar sort of push their or expand their animation palette. There was that very experimental sort of Picasso esque style. This also doesn't exactly looks like OG Pixar films do. It's got a sort of claymation roundness to it. The shapes of their faces, the shapes of their nose, the curls of their hair. Um, and whereas Soul was like a Picasso flex, yeah. this seems to be just like a classic landscape, scenic Bob Ross flex. Like we are in for some beautifully drawn rolling hills and oceans and and quaint towns and it's, i would imagine that that this film's strongest aspect is going to be its visuals i'm, I'm hoping so I, I don't love the claymation style but again i've learned not well to it's doubt. not exactly claymation no but no but it's a is... claymation adjacent yeah yeah but listen I, like i said i've learned to not doubt pixar so i i guarantee i'll end up liking it once it finally comes out it's got a great voice cast jacob tremblay plays luca jack dylan grazer who is uh the speedster in, in shazam he plays alberto scorfano uh newcomer emma berman plays julia maya rudolph and jim gaffigan just you know mvp ogs play Danella and lorenzo scorfana so really good voice cast Probably going to be amazing, despite my early reservations. Now, this is scheduled for, I think, late June. Do you think this yes. has theaters? Yes. Or, oh! Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I think by uh, late late May, we, we might be, like, legit. Not, like, fine, but... Got you. Rolling. Capable. Yeah, we moving. might be rolling. Like, okay. I, I could see, like, Black Widow just moving back a little bit gotcha. and then hitting theaters. I, July I, 4th weekend, and then, boom, yeah. we're ripping it. I, I genuinely think, and, and I've been maybe the most pessimistic person around in terms of like no it's never getting better i'm i think by like midsummer we, we we'll be able to go back to theaters without thinking we're gonna die for sure fuck yes <laughs> that sounds good to me <laughs> yeah right it's great that sounds like a win to me all right even though there's been a ton of big like comic book and superhero news arguably the coolest piece of news in the last week is that michael fassbender is in talks to star in david fincher's the killer so he'd be reteaming with the seven screenwriter andrew kevin walker this would be yet again you know one of our best directors and one of our most talented maybe underrated leading men joining together for this another dark adult drama that has nothing to do with aliens or jedi or dinosaurs like this is what we're talking about now. Yeah, I've been saying that this is the news of the week, and there's been a lot of it. But for me, this is it. You know, Fassbender, you call them Fassbender. That's probably right. He I, is I one know. of my favorite A-list stars. I mean, this guy, not that he sold out, but he spent the last few years just sort of doing that, right? As I like to tweet, his next film is... Taika Waititi's Next Goal Wins, which is about the world's worst soccer team trying to make the World Cup. So there could be sort of a fast bender renaissance going on here. If you think about Next Goal Wins, you add on this film, I'm sure he'll sign up for some sort of 
cape franchise something. He's still only 42, 43. I think we're about to see like a run from this dude. I mean, shit, as far as we know, he could pop up in WandaVision. <laughs> yeah. you know, he, he, right. could be, he could no, be the cameo. Right, he could pop up yeah. in WandaVision, right, exactly. The Foss, we got to come up with a better term than that, though. The Foss Bender Sonicence? You know? <laughs> yeah, we, got, we, need a, we need a better one. Let's, let's stew on some puns that, that we can make with that name. We will. Well, because I was trying to work Bender into Rebound. But I couldn't. The Foss rebounder. No, you know. that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. All right, we'll we'll come back to that though. Yeah. Like <laughs> the Foss and the Furious. <laughs> All right. Next know, yeah. fucking topic. All right, we're going to our quick hitters before we hop into Wandavision. Movie theaters reopening in New York City on March fifth. Super important for the release of blockbusters because New York City and LA can combine for between ten and twenty percent of a film's entire domestic gross alone. So. That's important for Black Widow and the like. Uh, DC Taps Angel Manuel Soto, direct Blue Beetle for DC. That's cool. I like him in the animated stuff. You don't watch Young Justice, right? No. Watch that. You'll be like, I like it, and I like Blue Beetle. All right? That's your homework. He's the one who kind of like shoots that shit from his hand, right? Um, he, he looks like a Blue Beetle. Like I, I don't know how else to explain it. It's like, it's like he's the only one who looks like that. Yeah, you're like, hey, dipshit. <laughs> yeah. Just fucking look at him. Yeah, it's like, you know, he, he does that. Um, Jennifer Lawrence rumored to be up for Sue, uh, Sue Storm in Fantastic Four. Like, yeah, I'm all about J-Law getting into another major franchise for sure. What about you, Eric? I don't know, man. I think that it's sort of become cool to hate on her, which I'm not on board with. But at the I same, love but at the same time, it's like we just saw her spend ten years doing this. Do I really want to see her dive back into that sort of role? I totally get it from their point of view, right? For for the MCU and her, it's a no brainer. But for us, um, in terms of you know, it's a list as fuck. But in terms of outside the boxness. Mm, Listen, I mean, if the rumor is true, I'm all for it just because all I want is a good actress in the role, whoever that may be. And Jennifer Lawrence does fit that criteria. So I'm with it. Um, Ezra Bridger casting rumors, Aladdin star uh, Mina Masood, and again, probably butchering it, sorry, rumored to be uh, in the running for Ezra Bridger in live action. Listen, uh, I, I don't care who plays Ezra Bridger as long as we get a live action Ezra Bridger because A, that storyline needs to be, you know, completed and B, it's a fucking awesome character overall. So let, let's get that done, Lucasfilm. Uh, and then last, Ronald Moore, who is the who cut his teeth on Star Trek: The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. He also created the Battlestar Galactica revival. He created Outlander. He created For All Mankind. He recently signed an overall deal with the Disney-owned 20th Century. And in a recent interview, he said that he, at some point in the future, does want to make a Star Wars TV show. He actually previously worked with George Lucas on the long developing live action ABC Star Wars series that was ultimately scrapped. I wrote about this for observer.com this weekend. That would be unbelievable. He is the perfect choice to shepherd. Yeah, you, what could seem be. Ga- you seem gassed up for this. Really gassed up if that happens. Guys, as a writer and producer and creator, you could ask for no one better to, to reestablish the gravitas of Star Wars than Ronald Moore. I'm not saying Mandalorian doesn't have a, uh, gravitas but it's just it's by design more of a video game-esque action thriller which i which has been great especially in the season two but you really want to dig into some serious character development some serious themes ronald moore is the guy and i really really hope that happens i hope it does for you pal hey thanks buddy you're a good friend all right we are going to take a quick break and then we are going to come right back for wandavision 
Oh, this is going to be a big one. Yes, I really hope that this does not make me sound dumb because now we are in the future. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) And welcome back to Post Cred Pod. We are now tackling WandaVision. Let me give a huge shout out to Leland Philpot at Leland Philpot, F H I L P O T, for that absolute banger of an Agatha All Along remix. I have been bumping that pretty much nonstop since the, you know, the, since it premiered in the uh, other episode. Dude, it's, some it's a, people it's a have so much talent. It's unbelievable. Like, I like to think of myself as a creative person, but music is the one thing where I just, I just don't have the ear for it, right? Like, I completely do not get it. So I'm blown away <laughs> that this guy, he pretty much turned around that beat that day. So yeah, I had to put awesome. it in the show. It was absolutely awesome. I love it. I'm glad you put it in because it hypes me up and I can't wait to re-watch and re-listen to this episode because I'm just going to get to this point and I'm just going to be like <laughs> doing my trap dance over here. You know what I mean? Yeah, if we could go to clubs, it'd be a club banger. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and if there is a club dedicated solely to Marvel nerds, like that is where I want to be. <laughs> All right, let's dive into episode eight previously on We'll do our beat-by-beat recap and analysis. Then we'll jump into our awards and categories. Then we'll finish off with some some Twitter questions from all you out there. But to start, uh, so coming into this episode, Eric, you had a ton of expectations for big reveals. I wasn't exactly riding the same wave, but I do think our dynamic is a little bit of a microcosm for the fan culture at large because the passion the in-depth discussion and theorization and speculation. Does this does this create a framework in your mind for ultimate disappointment in a way that maybe Lost did? You know, will fans be bothered by the fact that the answers to all their questions weren't exactly what they theorized and whatnot? Yeah, well, because as I watched, right, like I had, I had said at the top of the show that I was so confident that they would drop bombs on this week that I said that they would do so before I watch the episode but and they didn't in a way right i thought they dropped emotional thematic bombs but not for sure per, but not per se the narrative big twist bombs that some fans have been, i mean the discussion over the big villain right has probably been the most hot topic fan topic since this show has started yeah I agree the with fact that, that this episode was used, and we've seen this before. Like I've seen this in the leftovers season one, uh, and I've seen it in something else where they use the penultimate episode to show you what came before episode one, right? Like this is a tried and true TV tactic. But what I found myself thinking was, are there gonna be fans who, because Marvel fans are so in the game and so in-depth and so knowledgeable, we know People called the Agatha reveal half a year ago. Yeah, when she was cast. And like, I she's Agnes. I'm like, and ah, I can't, we know what this is. And I just can't help but wonder if the way fan culture currently exists set people up to be let down when the very projects they enjoy don't ultimately wind up the way that they thought they would and the way that they hoped it would. Now, I think people absolutely will be upset because they're ridiculous and their consumption of entertainment has to exist on their terms and their terms only for them to derive any enjoyment. And I think that's a really immature 
short-sighted way to enjoy entertainment. The reason I don't think they should treat WandaVision as if it was a lost is that in the latter, there were so many mysteries and questions raised that then became the center of the storyline's orbit that were then never, ever addressed again. They were just simply there as what the fuckery for what the fuckery's sake. Whereas I think all of the questions and mysteries raised in WandaVision have been deeply connected to the characters. They're not solely so they can engage the fans and have theorization and have people tune in. They actually are very parallel to what the emotional states of Vision and Wanda have been. And for the most part, I think it's been a lot of fan-created mysteries as well. They have now told us Agatha is the big villain, like, and and Cataract is doing this. Like, we're kind of the ones who have been like, right, so Mephisto and Nightmare are coming, you know, right? Like, I understand yeah. there's been iconography and everything, but that's kind of now been explained as like, yeah, this is just a, a, a centuries-old coven of witches, and these are the things they study. So I don't think WandaVision has created the same problem that lost it in its latter seasons. But with it now seeming like the two main villains that fans have theorized would show up, Nightmare and... Yeah. Sorry. Exclusive. Sources tell me that DC Films and Warner Brothers are developing an upcoming Superman feature film written by Tanashi Coach. J.J. Abrams is producing. The search for Kal-El Superman has not started. Wait, from, this is from Trey Magnum. I, I don't. I'm. I'm looking now to Wait, see if this a new Kal El. That this. I'm gonna from. Listen, okay. So I know this guy. He doesn't write for like an outlet. I know, but I know this guy is like a smart guy. Who knows if this is like legit or not? But I'm sending it to you right now. The the article, and because I, I just saw the tweet, and I, I'm sorry, I had to interrupt for that. No, it's okay. Listen, I so this Breaking guy I know news is smart. on the pod. This guy I know is smart, Trey Magnum. He's a good Twitter follower. He's written a lot of really good pieces. I've never heard of this outlet that he that he's publishing it, Shadow and Act. So we can't, you know, put anything on the veracity of this exclusive report. But obviously, we had to alert you guys. Who the fuck is Tanashi Coates? I I don't know off the top of my head. I I the name does not ring a bell. He is. He's the national correspondent at the Atlantic. What? This guy's just like a writer, and he's is this, is this like published a, uh... three nonfiction books. Yeah, I don't know. All right, let's go back to Wandavision and check back in on this. All right, where where was I? Oh, um, <laughs> I don't okay. know. I'm sorry, but I, I once I saw that, I obviously had I to. <laughs> so, because at this stage it looks like the two main villains that people thought were going to show up, Nightmare and Mephisto are not going to now it still could be someone else who you will get to later because you're in charge of the deep dive this week it seems but do you think that the general fan culture right now if you had to guess are feeling disappointed not so much in the series itself and not so much in this week's episode but the actual content of the plot I'm not. I can speak to what I'm saying, and, and I'm not. I didn't necessarily expect major reveals in this episode. The reveals I did get in this episode to me are very pleasing. I, I thought if this was one of the most emotionally honest episodes of the entire series, and I'll get to that more later, I'm not disappointed. Are others? Probably. I, I frankly, despite some of the perfunctory nature of how this unfurled and a little bit of the you know, hammy way they go about it and the, the, a little bit of the way they spoon feed some of the character development. I really enjoyed this episode quite a bit. And, I, and I'm quite happy with where WandaVision is. 
and I'll be sad to see it go once it's over. So I can't speak to the rest of the fandom. I haven't dove into the ugly film Twitter discourse yet, but that's where I'm at, man. I, I like this episode quite a bit. Yeah, same, same. So on that note, let's wrap it. All right, and it starts in Salem in 1693. Agatha Harkness is put on trial by a coven of her fellow witches, not, you know, a bunch of white people trying to kill witches, for practicing dark magic. White men, specifically. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As they attempt to kill Agatha, she actually drains their life force from them and basically escapes. Now, this is what I meant just now when I said that this was a little bit, to me, a perfunctory origin story for Agatha. I mean, I I like that it inverted your typical Salem witch trial and the real Salem witch trials did happen 1692 to 1693. So I like that that historical detail was right. But this this opening, I was like, meh, you know what I mean? Uh, I think it is, and we talk about this a lot on this show, concept versus execution, right? Yeah. I think that the very notion of A, dark magic, and B, like being put to death on a stake is a very visceral and new image for the MCU. As an idea, that is something compelling because as we've talked about this show the whole time, it's new and it's dabbling in genuine horror. I mean, that is as close to a horror scene outright as this franchise has maybe ever gotten, you know, they didn't burn her at the stake, but putting a woman at the stake against her will is some heavy shit. But what I think this scene did well, and that gives me hope that there could be a bigger tie-in next week, is that what Agatha is being put on the stake for. And yeah, this, this was a really good point. Of which her mom accuses her of stealing knowledge above her age and station, which I guess is like just above her pay grade, above her rank. And using, quote, the darkest of magic. Could this be the tie-in to the villain that we remain? Sorry, I'm sorry. Deadline just confirmed it. Superman. It's a reboot. Superman reboot in the works at Warner Brothers with Taneshi Coates writing, J.J. Abrams producing. Deadline. Poor Henry Cavill. I I started off not liking him, and I, I swung by the end of this whole thing. No plot yet and no attachments, despite the fact that we've heard how Henry Cavill is eager to get back into the cape. So then how is it a reboot? It's just a reboot with the same actor? Sounds like this dude really is a big fucking deal at the Atlantic and like as like a writer, even if he's not a Hollywood guy. You know I like Abrams. I'm an Abrams fan, but I kind of like that he's just producing and they might get someone like a little bit more flavorful to direct. All right, so you were you were talking about Agatha and above right, her pay right, right. So would the darkest of magic slash knowledge that she stole i'm assuming that she's talking about the darkhold book or the book that we think is going to be the darkhold that's my guess uh i think it's very possible i did like how agatha in that said in that scene said it just bent to her will like maybe maybe she did go out and steal it and that's just an excuse or maybe she's not full-on 100 percent evil she's just extremely powerful and these things are, are attracted to her for some reason I thought that was an interesting thing. I, yeah. I had I had two questions kind of come out of this. Um, number one, in Thor, Thor tells Jane Foster that magic and science are one and the same on Asgard. I wonder if that still stands slash how that necessarily applies here and what the situation is going on. And number two, Agatha is obviously more than three centuries old at least. I'm wondering if she is full on evil, which she still might be. And and I think probably we're leaning towards if when she drained the life form of her sister, which is that maintained her youth 
and then as an extension of that, if absorbing like either Billy, Tommy, or Wanda, it would be the ultimate version of extending her own life force. That's my big question. But if they aren't real, and, and she seems to be acutely aware of that fact, then how could, you know, I just don't see how she could absorb the life force of a life that's not technically real. But overall, I'd say that this scene, while I agree with you, was in terms of an origin story, it was not the best. But in terms of, in the context of it being literal horror sequence, something that we've seen in horror films, in that sense, I, I, I think it was a bold step for them. All right, now in the present day, Agatha interrogates Wanda, demanding to know how she is controlling Westview, uh, threatening her with the lives of her children. Agatha then forces Wanda to relive key moments in her life, including when she and Pietro were stuck in the rubble as kids next to the unexploded bomb, which she mentions in Age of Ultron. And within this memory, Agatha basically deduces that Wanda was actually born a witch and that she engaged in basic hex magic as a, a child, reinforced by Wanda's inadvertent use of a simple probability hex to prevent the bomb from going off. Yeah, this scene I absolutely loved. It reminded me this whole episode, and particularly this part, and I know it's an imperfect comparison, but it sort of reminded me of the door from Game of Thrones, uh-huh. wherein you're getting devastating emotional context from a sort of third person perspective wherein you're seeing Wanda's life from over Wanda's shoulder. And I just found the scenes of, you know, her sitting on the floor watching the Dick Van Dyke show with her family as the score swelled up to be an incredibly impactful scene in, in the sense that not only do you sort of finally sort to understand what she's gone through and, and, and how awful it was, but you could also begin to put yourself in her shoes. And that, I think, is one of the strengths of this episode is not only does it give you her perspective, but it's able to sort of help you think about how you would be if you were in that spot. I think the over-the-shoulder real reruns, as Agatha calls it, is a good point. It reminds me very much of Castle Rock, the Hulu show, season one, episode seven, The Queen, which was absolutely one of the most beautiful episodes in all of television in 2018. And it very similarly slipped through memories in various times and revisited these defining moments in someone's life that molded them into who they are and set them down the path to where they are in the present day. Now, this is a, a kind of hokier, more perfunctory version, but I still think very effective in building Wanda's character and enabling us to understand why she is the way she is and why she chooses to do certain things. This is actual character development, creative character development, and it's, it's done pretty well overall. Uh, it was interesting to me, though, that like even as Agatha's revealing her evil plan, it's still kind of brushing up against the comic counterpart counter counterpart of Agatha mentoring Wanda in sorcery. Like I'm still one scene has me convinced like Agatha is just kind of this magical person who's maybe a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. And then the next scene, I'm like, oh, no, she's 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 not a horrible person. She's just doing what she needs to do. So like I, I don't know exactly where her allegiances lie throughout this episode, even as this the show seems to have said she is the big villain. 
I think she's doing the classic villain, like imagine what we could do together type thing, wherein she's trying to recruit Wanda, and if she can't, then I must destroy you type type vibe. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. Speaking of her, though, Captain Han this week was absolutely hamming it up. She was hamming Um, it up. But I loved it because with a lesser actress, this sort of villain reveals her plan type scene could fall extremely flat but because you could just tell how much fun she's having doing it the scene just works you know and they also give us some further context of like while they explain why wanda can't use her powers down there because those symbols on on the walls that we talked about last week she says are runes yeah but while they explain that they don't explain all the devilly shit down there the goat head and the uh, I wonder if it's just part of her coven's, you know, vibe. history and teachings yeah. and, and yeah. whatnot. That's yeah. that's what I was thinking. If it's not Mephisto, then it's just part of the history. You know what I mean? Right. All right. In the next memory she rel- relives, Wanda watches herself as she experimented on by Hydra. As she approaches the Mind Stone in that kind of protected room, it reacts to her presence, activating and augmenting her latent magical abilities. Wanda even witnesses an apparition in the light of the Mind Stone before passing out. She then relives her first fond memory of Vision back at the Avengers compound as they bond over being, you know, individuals who have come to be alone through unique circumstances. Uh, Now, I know this was not it, and and I do think there's an explanation for what it might be. But the, my first gut reaction thought when I saw that apparition in the Mind Stone was the Phoenix Force. That's just kind of what it reminded me of a little bit. Interesting. I think it's just her, though, no? Yeah, I, I think it's her. But my, I'm just saying my first moment, I was like, what is that? Just my brain and like going back to the X-Men cartoon of the 90s. Right. I'm like, that kind of looks like Phoenix I like Force. That. Yeah. Good, I, again, I know shot. it's not it. And I do think that that you're right, that it's that it's her. And we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But yeah. yeah, I just think so. Just this sort of flashback structure that they use here sort of further reiterates what we've been saying Wanda for a few weeks now and that she is genuinely one of the MCU's most interesting characters right most of our heroes in the MCU are spurred on to greatness because of personal tragedy right Tony gets captured Thor gets himself banished Steve Rogers is just puny you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah But Wanda experiences sort of outward familial tragedy wherein trauma of her life is not because of something that happened to her. It's because of the things that have happened to those around her. And that is a more painstaking route to being a hero. And it only, you know, further provides context into how far she's come, how much emotional strength in the first place she's had to use to even maintain being hero. So you really kind of not so far as oh, I get her point now. But you do, seeing that the life that she's lived and how, as Agnes points out, everyone around you is dead. Yeah. You finally start to get like, you know, I I would maybe create my own hex as well. (laughs) (laughs) And to piggyback off that, the way they were able to accomplish this connection and this development is through this show and the real reruns. You know, put together, it's the type of, character-focused, slow-burn development, and origin story exploration best suited to the long-form narrative of television. You know, as we've said multiple times on this pod, Wanda and Vision rarely took center stage in the film, and here they have all the runway they could want and the required story to run it. 
they have enough depth where we are engaged throughout. And I just got to throw this out there. The conversation between Vision and Wanda at Avengers Compound, Compound in that flashback, I just thought that was really great organic relationship building. I really bought it and was touched by it. Yeah, I'll get to this later, that scene. But one thing I do want to touch on quick is when Vision drops that line about grief just being yep. love, blah, blah, blah. The face that he makes is fucking incredible. It's like this face of, holy shit, you're fucking right. I just dropped that truth bomb on your dopey. <laughs> He's like surprised, but then that surprise is washed away by how impressed with himself he is. And it's just yeah. amazing acting from him now. It's also probably the first time he's even realizing I'm I'm making connections to humanity. Right. And he's like, I'm oh, whoa, I, I'm evolving. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right. Later is seen that Wanda did visit Sword to try and recover Vision's body. And Hayward shows her his mutilated, dissected corpse. Wanda, of course, loses her temper and breaks into the lab, but unable to feel Vision's presence, you know, Vision being truly and utterly gone. She leaves without Vision's body. And I just want to say that we were right that Hayward doctored and or misrepresented the security footage he showed everybody. We called that one. Although not that that was a huge call, but we were right. No, well, I think we were on that one earlier. I think I said that week, I was like, something about that smells fishy. Um, and since he was the only one to show people that video, I'm like, well, where did that video come from if you're the only one who has it? Very clearly trying to piss her off, right? Because at the end, right, he says it turns out all we've needed is magic from the source to, to get the big reveal to work. We won't talk about it yet, but do you think he was intentionally trying to piss her off knowing that? I don't know if he was trying to bait her, but I do know that he's a prick. <laughs> and, and that that As is my estimation yeah, yeah, of yeah. the situation. I don't know. Now, I think... I think he intended to do it. I, I, I can't but imagine. What's be- the end game of him, you know, baiting her to do it? Like, if she does steal vision, they're shit out of luck with what they want to do. What? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It just seemed too intentional and on the nose for it, for him to not be trying to provoke her to get her to do what he needed to do. He, he may have been trying to provoke her because ultimately, as we've seen, he's willing to lie to position her as an as an enemy as a villain and let's just say the hex had never happened he knew eventually if they did get what they wanted out of project cataract she would be an impediment so maybe gas laying the groundwork to gaslight her later does make a little bit of sense yeah so finally wanda drives to a lot in westview uh, that Vision had bought for her intending to live together there as like a kind of normal regular everyday couple and understanding what was lost, you know, that life that almost was in a fit of grief. She creates a house on the lot. She manifests a new version of vision and ultimately extends the hex across the entire town, thus creating the West view that we now know. So I, I, I like this for its simplicity, you know, in the end, there was no, there was no diabolical explanation to Westview. It ultimately came down to what we thought. Wanda created this alternate reality out of her grief, out of her trauma. And after a lifetime of loss, she cocooned herself in a creation of her own making to basically run away from the empty and isolated life in the real world that more that, that basically had been a result of all this death around her. And she fled to a life that more aligned with what she always deserved. And I like that she took comfort 
in the sitcoms that provided her happy memories in childhood. So it, to me, this all comes a bit full circle for her character from what we see in this episode and puts to bed a lot of the theorization. You know, she was behind Westview and it was because of her mental state. And I think that's there's power in that message. Yeah, I think that the connection to TV shows and how that was sort of her safe space really worked for me. I did not see it coming, but I thought it was a smart way to explain how they've worked in all these very unique American sitcom tropes that somebody growing up halfway across the world most times would have no connection to. I will say just on her showing up to the vacant lot, while the whole property deed bit, you know, a note from the dead type shallow trope is a well-worn thing. You know, it's pretty much the plot of PSI Love You, but (laughs) it worked for me. And it only furthered hammered home how impressed I am by this series and this series alone, ability to sell me on a love story that I had previously thought was absolutely fucking preposterous. Like in Age (laughs) of Ultron, Civil War, Infinity War, blah, blah, blah. I never really bought Wanda and Vision falling in love. Right. But now I finally get it. I, I, I could finally see the whole picture of their relationship and how genuine and real it was. Yeah, they, they do a great job here. And, and like you said, it, it sells a lot of what maybe wasn't completely sold in earlier versions. So I, I agree with you, man. This this was strong. All right, back in the present uh, and coming out of her trance, Wanda runs outside only to be confronted by Agatha, who is holding her children captive. Agatha mocks Wanda for not knowing the full extent of her own ability. She calls her dangerous. She tells Wanda that her powers are actually chaos magic, which ultimately makes Wanda the mythical dun-da-da-dun Scarlet Witch. I got to be honest, I just thought it was unintentionally hilarious when Agatha called her the Scarlet Witch here. Like, after everything... That's how they introduced the moniker. They're like, you're the zoom in Scarlet Witch. It just was, it was too hammy for my taste. Like a uh, David Caruso line. and Exactly. My... Nailed it. And like, again, I, I really like the episode, but this that specific reveal. This is a sunglasses. Puts on shades. Yeah. Scarlet Witch. Exactly. So yeah! it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> It was a clunky ending to what I thought was a very strong episode. I'm not sure. Is Agatha trying to, is she trying to, like you said that she's trying to absorb her kids' life forces. Where I just think she's trying to perhaps leverage them. Right. Leverage them to set Wanda off. I I mean, she explains herself. You know, I, I want to, I have a theory. I'm trying to confirm it. I'm, she's basically doing research. That's essentially what her season arc is. We don't necessarily know what the end game of that research is yet. You know, well, that has not been revealed. Does the theory that you have for us tie into chaos magic? It does, right? Uh, it, it's, it's got a whole bunch going on. You want to finish the post credit scene and then we can get into that big theory? Yep, perfect. Uh, all right, so in a post credit scene, S.W.O.R.D. reveals Project Cataract. The original, now all-white, gray vision is reactivated using the chaos magic energy from a drone destroyed by Wanda. And now here I am reading like directly from you know a, a little Marvel database thing. This actually has a little bit of a, a origin in the comics. There's major history behind the episode 8 post credit scene as this evil vision comes straight to WandaVision from the pages of Marvel Comics lore. 
In the comics, the White Vision is a virgin version of the beloved character devoid of everything that makes him so, well, beloved. Think Ultron, but Vision, and a little less chatty. Really, it's exactly what Ultron wanted, a highly sophisticated weapon that could wreak so much havoc in the wrong hands. We don't know uh, Tyler Hayward all that well, but from what we've seen, safe to say his hands decisively classify as wrong. Hmm. So I thought I thought it was interesting that kind of evil Vision has some comic basis, but like we've been saying, Marvel has its own way of remixing it to their liking. Yeah, A, this is also one that we nailed. Um, do you think that this counts as sort of the big villain r- reveal? Uh, I think... I, so this kind of ties in a little bit to what the theory might be, which I got elsewhere. And also, a lot of people are saying online, and I think maybe they're right, that Paul De- De- Bettany definitely trolled the Marvel fandom with his comment about working with an actor he's admired his whole life. He and that it's him. He that he's working with, a, you know, he's playing both characters. He was so flagrant about it. It's like, all right, this dude is really teetering the line of getting himself in some real trouble here. So it so only I- makes sense that he was being... Cheeky. Yeah, exactly. Which I like, but I, that doesn't mean other cameos won't come. We'll, we'll, right. we'll, we'll get to what we think will go down yeah. next week at the end. So now this is this is a portion of a theory I saw from at, let me see, sorry, find his exact, his, his exact thing, from at Harold L. Stokes, who runs his own blog, HLS Entertainment. And I thought there were some very interesting things in here. Basically, He's got uh, he's got three lines of thinking for possible outcomes as of right now. Number one, Agatha wants to use Wanda to bring someone back to life. Number two, Agatha is working for Kithan, who is kind of the 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 author of the what is it? The Dark World? No, Darkhold. The, uh, the Darkhold, the book, and he's kind of his own you know cosmic demonic entity. Agatha's working for him and has been trying to find the being that was imbued with his powers to bring him into this universe and believes it to be Wanda, but has to investigate to confirm. Or basically that, but it starts with another uh, villain. And he thinks this villain might be Thanos. Not that Thanos is coming back, but we're told that Thanos used the Infinity Stones to destroy them. But also in previous movies, the Infinity Stones were positioned as the building blocks of the entire universe. The Collector said they are what basically sparked all of creation. In Endgame, we're also told that the Ancient One uh, said that removing one stone from its timeline would send the universe in darkness. So potentially, with all six stones now destroyed, what if the universe is secretly crumbling? Uni- realities and dimensions are bleeding into one another, and this is the madness being teased in upcoming, uh, you know, adventures such as Doctor Strange too. Within this theory, this guy also goes on to say that we basically in this episode watched Wanda use her chaos magic to create another vision complete with his own mind stone, something that should be impossible unless she is perhaps imbued with Kithon's power, even though he even says here, and I do agree with him, that may be too much to go into with the time remaining. It may not be any other bigger reveal at all. It just might be Wanda. But, you know, when Wanda created another mind stone, it might have been a beacon to other magic using individuals that the kind of chaos circling the existence has been slowed because someone has the ability to create matter itself and agatha just has to happens to be the kind of first magic user on the scene who's trying to investigate poke around see what's going on so basically and and there's also the other giant implication that dr strange needs the time stone in order to keep dormammu in the dark dimension at bay so 
what he basically thinks is that instead of a, another Thanos level threat, the uh, the next big arc of the MCU is actually the universe unraveling because the infinity stones were destroyed. And this guy thinks Dr. Strange will show up next week, not for some big showdown against Agatha, but to actually enlist Wanda to help recreate the stones this time as their rightful comic name, infinity gens to, in order to restore reality. And that next week, basically Wanda vision, Agatha and Dr. Strange will have to team up together to stop evil vision and then work together to restore uh, reality and that the apparition in the mindstone that she saw that where I was getting Phoenix vibes, it is Wanda herself because Wanda has been positioned as the villain this whole time and rea- and in reality maybe at the end of Doctor Strange two, she is the one who saves existence. She is the savior of the world and what is she see? What she's seeing is her fulfilling her destiny, her true heroic need, which is she is such a powerful, you know, nexus being that only she can stop this unraveling of the universe. So shout out to at Harold L. Stokes, because I thought there was a lot of interesting theories to unpack within that. And a lot of very reasonable explanations for a lot of our questions and for what's to come. I think that's, that made a lot of sense. That's solid. I also saw a quick tweet that, how do you say his name? Kithan, I think. Kithan, there is a comic book art where he takes over Quicksilver's body. So, oh wow, okay, I didn't know yeah. that. That's really cool. So yeah. that kind of fits into what we're talking about. Great theory, I love that, and I'm glad that there's still a chance that our boy Doc shows up at some point. Because I still think he's showing up. Like I, I don't think that's. Ne- I think Elizabeth Olsen saying yes, there is a big cameo. I think that's Doctor Strange. Okay. All right, so should we hop into awards and categories? Awards and cats, baby. All right, first up, the Infinity Gauntlet Award for the real MVP award. Fine. For me, Eric, this has to go to showrunner Jack Schaefer and her writer's room because, like I said, in many ways, this is the most emotionally honest, resonant episode of the entire season. And as I wrote for Observer.com today, previously on offers our best insight yet into what WandaVision wants to say to its audience and who exactly that message might be for. Ultimately, to me, from what I'm getting... The series is all about the work of coping, being incredibly difficult, but worth the pain and struggle in the end. You got to run towards your pain and trauma and embrace it, not away from it and reject it if you ever want to move forward. And I think that's a really powerful emotional message that ties into our discussions about how kind of sad and impactful WandaVision is as compared to the typical rah-rah cheerleader tone of the MCU. I'm going to read a blurb for, for mine since it sort of ties into what you just said. And then I'll get to my real MVP. So what I wrote for ProBaba was that... Uh, okay, As always, so the, go click our stories. We need those clicks. The uh, the underlying question that has propelled the WandaVision so far, more than who is Agnes or what's wrong with Dottie or which misplaced background element might actually turn out to be Mephisto is, <clears throat> how did we get here? How did Wanda get here both literally and emotionally? How have things gotten this bad? How do we get out of here and how do we heal? They try to answer all of those things by putting us through the lived experience of what is now far and away the MCU's most broken hero. From her war-torn childhood to her shady government experimentation to the loss of her soulmate, the only thing in Wanda's life greater than her immense reality-shaping powers are the tragedies that have propelled those powers on. You know, known for their quips and their third act hole in the sky 
endings the mcu for all of its dramatic prowess they know how to tell tell a story they've never really been known for heartbreak right outside of of course infinity war and endgame but in watching that montage of childhood wanda lying on the floor with her family is black and white images of the american promised land flash across her screen while gunfire crackles outside in the streets the emotion was probably as overwhelming as anything the mcu has ever provided is you not only imagine what it must have been like to be here but what it would be like if that was you and that to me is an amazing accomplishment for what amounts to a superhero sitcom tv show that is an unbelievable bridge that the mcu has gapped so well, with that sad. said, my real MVP, just like you said, sort of the writers of the show, my MVP is sort of the Wanda, Wanda's story, Wanda's life, her, her arc, how she's gotten to this point. I think she was previously a side character who we didn't know much about. We didn't really understand. We thought her voice was funny. We thought she was out of place. Yes, we knew that she could whoop Thanos' ass, but that's about <laughs> all we knew about her. Now you finally understand and empathize with the Wanda character herself. Yeah, this episode did a great job of that, and, and I agree. All right, the Thor The Dark World Award for Worst Performance. You needn't have come so far, Asgardian. Death would have come to you soon enough. Not by your hand. The name drop of Scarlet Witch, like I said, super heavy-handed, and I, I basically laughed out loud. Unintentionally hilarious. Yeah, and I would say in that scene... Agatha's makeup and costuming also did not help in that regard. Um, I am going with CGI energy beams that shoot out of your chest. Yeah. Um, Agatha getting energy beamed to death on the stake and Wanda energy beaming herself a new house, a new husband just looked goofy as hell to me. Just so much energy beaming here. Just, ah, I'm <laughs> energy beaming out of my fucking chest. It's just... Uh, <laughs> In Corn terms man. of acting, there was a lot of poop face effort in this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that. All right, the Jarvis Award for Best Performance by Anyone Except the Lead Actor. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Jarvis, a virtual artificial intelligence, and I'm here to assist you with a variety of tasks as best I can. I mean, I'm still going with Catherine, Catherine Hahn because <laughs> she is an intentionally hammy. You know, it's yeah. not corny. It is a specific choice, which I like, and she, she does well. And I just like Catherine Hahn, even if some of these moments uh, were a little bit, you know, ham-fisted. I'm going to go with the score. I think that oh, yeah. the, the score of a film can make or break scenes and how you think of the film as a whole. You know, despite the fact how much I love Logan, I think that the score during the final battle really goes a long way in undercutting the drama of, of that scene. So if your score is wrong, it could really fuck up the entire emotional payoff you're trying to build towards but that is not the case here the score is fucking phenomenal really good really really good way of emboldening the emotional arcs that we're already seeing in this episode yeah all right the tony stark exposition monologue award aka the star lord who award for shit that we need someone smart to explain to us further hey you know what there's another name you might know me by star lord who? For me right here, the MCU has now officially introduced witches into its canon, which seemingly is different than the Doctor Strange magic and is yet another naturally occurring supernatural ability present in this universe. So I would like to know, A, you know, how prevalent it is 
in this universe? And B, if other similarly naturally occurring phenomenon are happening as well, such as, oh, I don't know, genetic mutations maybe? <laughs> Do you think that that's a route that the show could go down? <clears throat> what, that Wanda creates mutants? Yeah. At this point, no. I, I don't think she, that's, yeah. that's going to happen. But I, I want to know. Clearly, look, it's different than the Doctor Strange magic, and yet it seems only certain people can become, you know, Doctor Strange sorcerers. It seems like only people are born with hex magic in them. You know, genetics, DNA, that's that's a whole, you know, born thing as well. I, I just want to know what else is creating supernatural, superpowered individuals in this world. And, like, going- good luck to Zemo, who's like, no more superheroes. <laughs> Bro, you have a lot of people to deal with. That is an uphill battle. Yeah. Um, I'm going with, with the same one that I go every week. Where the fuck is Doctor Strange? <laughs> Where is he? I mean, no, but seriously, I do have a real one. And that is what the extent of White Vision's powers are. Are they Vision's powers carbon copied? And is he under Hayward's explicit control? Or is he as well a sentient being? Really good question, and, and we'll probably find out next week when he starts fucking shit up, I would assume. I, I'm assuming, like, yo, Vision is no scrub. You think that they're going to deal with him next week, and that's it? I think White Vision is dealt with next week. Okay. okay. But I think it opens up a whole can of worms that, you know, sets up future storylines. Okay. gotcha. All right, the Time Zone That Real Quick Award, a.k.a. Rewind That Real Quick Award. I would say the three thesis quotes in this episode that best represent the ideas of WandaVision overall. There's three quotes that I really like. Number one, you'd rather fall apart than face your own truth. That's what Agatha tells uh, Wanda. And again, that deals with running away from your problems, rejecting the pain, being overcome by grief and trauma to the point in which you can't probe what they mean and what they represent and you can't move forward. It is like quicksand, emotional quicksand. Uh, thesis quote number two, the only way forward is back. Again, Agatha telling uh, Wanda when she's kind of taking her on this memory lane trip, but really also a bit of a thesis statement for WandaVision itself. It is a show designed to look inward. It is just show designed to rely on pre-existing knowledge of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and beyond. And I think that's been wonderful for major fans such as you and I, but for casual fans, that is one reason why maybe WandaVision has come across a bit impenetrable at times. So I thought that was interesting how it could double meaning that one. And then the uh, last thesis quote was Vision's beautiful sentiment. What is grief if not love persevering? And Vision may be a robot, but it is humans who are hardwired to form attachments to one another. And I wrote about this in Observer today. If a kind-hearted synthesoid can learn to reposition grief into something beautiful, then that is what we should all be striving for. And that is ultimately what Wanda's arc is about. Being able to find the value and the meaning and the significance in what happened, even if it ended tragically, so that she can move forward and, and be relatively okay, that she can confront her pain, understand it, and know that while it marks her, it doesn't define her. So I thought these three quotes best represented the overall themes and messages of WandaVision. Excellent, Faye. Thank you, buddy. I am going with the very time stone-esque construction of this episode and therefore ah. the reveal of how this all, all started. I think that was, this was a really smart way to not only track us back through Wanda's life and how Wanda thematically got here, but how she literally and physically got there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a, a cheeky, clever little answer right there. 
All right, put this in Odin's Vault Award, a.k.a. put that in a museum. Odin's treasures. Fake. Most of the stuff in here is fake. I would say the emotional inward journeys, whether that be through time-hopping memory reruns in this episode or simple discussions between two characters in any other setting or any other form. You know, this is character development. This is externalizing an internal monologue. This is showing us how a character came to be the way they are thanks to the defining experiences that molded them. That is what every Marvel project, whether it's a TV show, a movie, whatever, that is what they all should revolve around at their best. I am going with, and this sort of ties into what you're, you're saying and sort of ties into what I've been saying this whole podcast, and that was that sort of third-person, over-the-shoulder storytelling perspective we're in. We're seeing Wanda's life, and then we're also seeing how Wanda feels about those moments. Uh, as I said, said at the top, it reminded me of the door from Game of Thrones, where as we've seen, if done right, that sort of watching in the shadows like you're there, but they don't know you're there type thing can be effective as hell. It could be emotionally devastating. And uh, while I won't say that this was as impactful as finding out why Hodor was Hodor, I will say that it did sort of conjure up the same sort of feelings. I think both of us, you know, I'm referencing Castle Rock. You're referencing uh, Game of Thrones. These are like all great nerdy parallels that everyone should just be checking out in general. <laughs> All right. The cap lifts the hammer award for the best hero moment. I would say vision comforting Wanda at the Avengers compound in that flashback. You know, sometimes, sometimes Eric, the most heroic thing you can do is just show someone that you care about them. Yeah. I've, I've seen this meme about like being there for your friends where it's like, you know, it's a, a little hand drawn deck figure and is on the floor and he's sad. And then his friend walks up and he's like, Hey buddy, you right. Do you need help? The guy who was on the floor and said, does not say a word. The friend asks again, uh, like, you're right. Do you want to talk again? Sad guy on the floor does not say a word. The friend then just goes quietly and sits down next to the friend yeah. on the floor. And he's like, thank you. So, you know, that's that that's kind of what I think you're saying. I am going cheeky again, and I'm gonna be whatever it is Vision does next week, I know it's gonna be heroic as shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. I, I mean, listen, you and I have talked about it multiple times. We think the only way this show ends is with a third death for Vision Vision, tragically. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. And it'll probably be the worst of the three. Yeah, this dude's had a really tough go. Oof. All right, what's the worst thing you can say about this episode, Eric? Instead of at the top, I think there is an element of disappointment as far as narrative twists. And that's about it. In yeah. terms of emotion and themes, and I, I think the show has been great so far. But in terms of like that dun 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 reveal, I think that some people are going to find themselves let down. Also, a superhero that could fly and change reality and fuck up Thanos should have a car nicer than a buick <laughs> i was thinking to myself i'm like is that a jetta what is that i can't <laughs> i can't quite catch that but i that's a great great point uh for me i would say like i like i already said before it was perfunctory for stretches and agatha harkness finally naming wanda the scarlet witch doesn't land nearly as effectively as the episode's handling of her painful backstory it just you know left a little bit to be desired in terms of her moniker yeah. But that's okay. That's a forgettable, you know, transgression. All right. What's the nicest thing you can say about this episode, E? 
uh, as we talked about a few weeks ago, I think WandaVision is, in the literal definition of the word, the saddest MCU project yet. And I think this episode is sort of a summation of that thesis, right? This 40 minutes was as an emotional journey as the MCU has ever taken me on to the fact where it's like, I know that this was too heady of a connection, but the other vibe that I got from it outside of the door was the tree of life from Terrence Malick. So like, so, so this was operating at an extremely high emotional level. And, you know, for a fucking show about, again, as you said, a sort of awkwardly named Scarlet Witch, that's impressive shit. Well said, sir. Well said. Oh, thank you. I would say the nicest thing I can say is that it's the most most emotionally honest episode of the season. It it sprints through a lifetime of traumas to deliver a really powerful thesis on the entire show in the veil of what I consider to be some of the best character development in recent MCU memory. So I'm thankful that we were given this, honestly. Do you think this was the best one yet? Do I think this is I think this is one of my favorite episodes of the entire show. I think I think maybe the Pietro reveal might have been my favorite just because of the sheer what the fucker fuckery, yeah. but I, this was one of my favorites for a lot of reasons. Yep. All right, stuff that we think is cool that needs mentioning. You have a, a nice little tidbit here. I do have one. So in New Jersey, there is a West View, which is two words, not one word as it is in in the show. It's not really a town, it's an unincorporated community located in Ridgefield Park, which is in Bergen County, which is about a half an hour drive from where I am currently sat. Pretty cool. All right, let's move it over to some uh, listener questions. If you ever have any theories, questions, comments, always hit us up at PostCredPod on Twitter. This first one comes from at James Parham. How long do you think the last episode is? What do you think about the secret episode theory? How is Hayward tracking the vibranium signature in the hex if he wasn't there? How will Monica defeat Quicksilver? How, why are they out of the basement at the end of the episode? All right, that's a lot of questions in one. Uh, how long do I think the next episode is? Hour. Hour? Is that is that like mathematically? Because I know they said it's about six hours total. Oh, I don't know. Oh, great point. I, I guess you could just do the math on it. Yeah, I'm not going to do math right now or nope. ever if I can help it. Um, what do you think about the secret episode theory? I don't think there is a secret episode. I think it'd be cool if there is, but I don't. I don't think that's going to be I the do case. Do you think that nine is weird though? I think yeah, I definitely think nine is weird for sure. I mean, how could it not be if it's supposed to set up Doctor Strange too, which is going to be super fucking weird? Uh, how is Hayward tracking the vibranium signature in the hex if he wasn't there? Plot mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's that's all I got for you. Because he had to. Exactly. How will Monica defeat Quicksilver? I mean, we don't By know. Busting his ass. That's yeah. It. <laughs> she what? Uh, Agnes says. Agnes, Agatha says she. It was possession. That still says to me, like, so did she pluck his essence from the multiverse and then possess like a recreation I of mean, him? We, we've also we didn't really touch on it as much as we should have, but we haven't met Ralph yet. We're assuming yeah. that is he that rabbit? The rabbit in his hand. I mean, is Pietro Ralph? I you, you gotta expect. Oh, because when when um, Agatha and Wanda are talking in one of the first scenes, Agatha says, it's so nice that you could finally meet the real us. So she's referencing somebody else in the room. So they're going to reveal next week who Ralph is. Maybe Ralph has been the one running around as Pietro. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll say. And then his last question 
how, why are they out of the basement at the end of the episode? Magic. I didn't even realize that. Oh, I, right, just, right, you know, right, right. Oh, yeah. I didn't even put that together. Good call. But, but like, you know, Matt, Matt I, I, I don't have like a physical answer for you, a tangible answer, but magic. I don't know. Right. You know, they're just fucking around. Um, this next one comes from at fresh underscore laundry underscore. I don't know why, but that makes me laugh. Respect. Uh, are we still rolling with the Nexus being theory or was last week's commercial just a fun, clever Easter egg for the fans? I, I still think in some form, the Nexus theory in some form one she's like she's like beings like you aren't supposed to exist uh you could you know create reality as you see fit so yeah i 100 percent think that that's where they're going at at this stage she is a being of great importance a linchpin of sorts i think whether or not we ever hear the word nexus again that is true yeah uh at the real kvd after today's post-grad parentheses pod scene, respect, respect for the wordplay, do you think Paul Bettany was referring to himself when he said he got to work with an actor he always wanted to work with? Yes, I do. I think he was being cheeky, and he's British, and he's got that British cheeky sense of humor. Same. <laughs> All right, at uh, Nico underscore 287, does white vision ever go back to normal vision? I, I think, like we said, I personally see vision dying at the end of this. I don't really know how you get a happily ever after after everything yeah i don't know where you you could take the character from here i think his arc has been served especially if he lays his life on on the line again <laughs> there's and, not much how, how much more do you you want this <laughs> poor guy to fucking do <laughs> and even <sighs> with um harold stokes's hls entertainment theory about wanda and strange potentially trying to recreate all of the infinity stones as the comic accurate infinity gems I still think from like a narrative perspective, like you said, his arc and for just emotional stakes, he probably sacrifices himself to, to save the day, to help out, whatever, you know? Yeah. All right. And then one more from at underscore Mr. Blakeney. Uh, wait, wait, wait. So if Wanda can actually create life slash beings, does that mean we're going to get a white versus normal vision duel? I think we touched on that already. I think. Yeah. Yeah. For seems, sure. And not like- only that, but we're hopeful Doctor Strange's bum ass will join them. Get Maybe his ass out of fucking Brooklyn or whatever the fuck he is. He's Cross not. a goddamn bridge or two and do something. Dude, he's in the Greenwich Village. You know how easy it is to ultimately get to New Jersey? He's gotta take, yeah, he's going to take the path on a fucking bus. Go down to Port Authority. There's a, a, there's a bus that goes to every single town in Jersey, it feels like. Or just teleport yourself, motherfucker. You teleported yourself off the hill. Or as you said, or as you said, send Wong. Yeah, send anybody. What is going on? Oh man! All right, so what are your what's your big prediction for next week's finale? Uh, Doctor Strange shows up. Westview is shut down, but with Westview shutting down, there is some sort of tear, rip, crack. Uh, universes bleeding into each other. Some sort of bad thing that sets up Doctor Strange too. Even if this problem of Wandavision is solved. Okay. I'm going with that Wanda concludes this series as as I've said before. Well, all right. A, my Doctor Strange shout obviously remains one that I'm going to stick to because if he doesn't show up next week, that's just bad writing, and they have to explain why. I am at that point. Um, <laughs> but I'm also going to predict that Wanda is going to end this series not necessarily a villain, but not necessarily an antihero, somewhere in between. I like it. As you said, like a sort of Phoenix-esque, you know, when she's on our side, she's great, but she's a crazy bitch and we can't really control her. (laughs) 
definitely thinks you know she has the power to, like you said, help people and creep Just people out of the people. Yeah, trapped yeah. in New Jersey, which is my nightmare. Hey. <laughs> All right, is that it for us? Well, no. There's one more thing, of course, Brandon. We can't possibly forget, and that's ah, to leave the boys a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Please do, and also follow us at Postcred Pod. Pod, and you could follow us if you want as well. Great underscore Catsby. I'm sure it kills you that you can't change that, right? It's so like someone just beat me to it. So annoying. And then uh, I am Eric underscore Itac. Like Great right. right there. Talk to you next week. All right, see you guys. Peace. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. 